Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Blocks Decoded podcast. I'm James and I'm here with Joe. Hello. Gavin. You. And Dan. Hey guys. And uh, it's been a busy two weeks for the crypto markets since we last spoke. When we were last on the podcast, prices were going sky high. We were projecting that they might go to infinity forever, and that would be awesome for everybody. (laughs) They've kind of stayed around the same level since then. So it's been about two weeks of slight ups and downs, nothing that notable from the last time we spoke. So this week, we're going to be covering some news. We're going to be looking at Facebook versus, well, pretty much everyone since they announced Libra. There's, going to, there's some new open source tools that will let you explore blockchains. And this is my favorite way of describing this story. Nestle nibbles at new networks, which is Nestle getting into blockchain <laughs> again. Lyrical genius. Yeah, I know. I'm very good at this, aren't I? You wouldn't think that we were writers, would you? <laughs> Uh, then Joe's going to tell us a bit about what ontology is. Dan's going to tell us the best coin-based alternatives, and Gavin will round us up with Bitcoin blockchain films. So then, we go back to this topic pretty regularly. We covered the rumors, we covered the announcement, and now we're covering some of the backlash to Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency. So an official at the People's Bank of China uh, spoke at an event in a university where they basically said that they would launch their own digital currency in response to Libra to prevent Facebook from having a basically a global currency. So uh, what do you guys think of, of uh, China's announcement here? I think this is really interesting because it wasn't long ago that China were threatening to ban and actually fake banning Bitcoin all over the place. It seemed like every month they're like, yeah, we've banned it again. Um, so so it does seem a bit of a reversal to suddenly say oh hey we want to launch our own one yeah it uh it's not quite on the same level but if you remember a couple of weeks back where um india were like we're gonna ban all of the cryptocurrencies but we're also going to produce our own cryptocurrency which you can use within india so Mm. china look like they're taking a slice of that pie (laughs) albeit without the threat of what was it a two or a five year prison sentence in in india but but you're right it's very interesting news that china are not even really discreetly anymore attempting to launch their own cryptocurrency and what is the benefit for china of doing this what do they get out of it well the quote that we've got from this official is but there would be in essence one boss that is the us dollar and the united states if so it would bring a series of economic financial and even international political consequences so i think he's mostly taking issue with it would be a stablecoin and tied to the us dollar i think mm. so it comes as as lots of the major nations around the world that's largely been the the issue with libra isn't it that it's not placing itself against Bitcoin per se, but it's attacking actual national currencies and trying to reduce the power that they have. So obviously any nation is going to fight back against that, be it through banning Facebook, banning Facebook Libra or creating their own alternative to it, which is obviously what China are going to attempt to do. But you, I mean, Facebook obviously say that whether or not it's true, I mean, we, we, we spoke about possibly their ulterior motives but they claim that is to bring that, that Libra is to bring you know the unbanked into the global economy and all the all these grandiose claims 
is China going to use their currency for what domestic payments in China? Are they going to try and replace their own currency with this in the long term? I mean, China is famous for manipulating its currency value. I mean, you know, Trump's always complaining about about the manipulated mm. currencies there, and he, for all Trump's faults, he does have a point there. So, is that even going to be possible if they if they launch their own coin? It, it raises a lot of questions. I think. Yeah, I, I think as uh, Gavin says. This is potentially, in my opinion, just uh, a good opportunity for China to muscle in and undermine, potentially, um, the value of the dollar or the US economy, potentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ulterior motives again, then, we're putting mm-hmm. it down to. Well, tellingly, at the end of that statement that he said, uh, he said even international political consequences. So it's not necessarily even related to crypto or currencies. It's about the politics. And at the time of our recording, um, over the last year or two years or so, uh, China and the US have not been on the most friendly of terms, batting about trade disputes and all sorts of various things. So this just sounds like it's another rung in that ladder, really. I mean, maybe they're gambling on Libra never even getting off the ground, which, you know, we, we see all the time, that, you know, that they're being pulled up in front of Congress. They want to put a, a block on it until they understand it better and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So maybe they're just gambling and not even starting and they can try and nick that space that Libra was trying to claim. But it's, yep. been, it's been a long time in, in the making as well, though. Um, I mean, if you look at the news reports, it's they've been hiring blockchain engineers and experts since... 2016 or so and here we are in 2019 and the announcement of facebook libra suddenly prompts them to release information that they're going to create their own cryptocurrency so why why not before now why is it only in response to the threat of facebook libra and i guess the u.s company trying to take the stranglehold i mean is that the crux of it it's a u.s company that's that's trying to take the power away at the moment, I guess we will have to wait and see, especially because we've only got these one set of comments. Is Facebook even allowed in China? Is it, or is it one of their blocked sites? I believe it's one of the blocked sites, actually. It would make sense yeah. if it was. Yeah, it was, it was blocked in 2000 and 2009. It was blocked. Yeah. And there was allegedly um, a series of riots in which um, protesters used Facebook to coordinate. Mm. which is presumably what led to the blocking. Well, we'll have to wait and see what the outcome of China's cryptocurrency plans are. But for now, we will be moving on to talking about an open source blockchain experimenting tool. So the blockchain is very big. I think we all know that. It's run on basically computers around the world that are classed as nodes. So if you want to update the software or try something out, that means having to update the software on every single node that's available. And that's a lot of effort and most likely won't even get full uptake either. So if you're researching blockchains, what are you to do? Well, you'd create a test system instead. And there have been some of these in the past, but usually they get abandoned as soon as one particular test is run. So a team at the Tokyo Institute of Technology has been working on an open source tool that will allow people to simulate node manipulations and the changing of parameters. And it is called SimBlock. I am not the most technical person in the team, (laughs) I imagine. Um, So have any of you guys tried SimBlock? Would you be interested in some kind of technical testing like this? What do you think about about, uh, SimBlock itself? 
Yeah, so this is um, this is quite exciting, um, but uh, I think for me the biggest thing is that it's coming out of Tokyo Institute Institute of Technology, um, and Japan are traditionally quite hot on their cryptocurrencies. Um, like they're very early adopters. There's loads of like Bitcoin ATMs, and people are really keen on using it. Um, so, in my opinion, this seems like a very good thing. Um, Regardless of all the, the benefits it can bring, that it's just coming out of Japan, and you know what other developments are they working on? So you, you see it as like some kind of progress towards research being done in Japan that may eventually help blockchains around the world and that kind of thing, and sort of have new developments. Yeah, well, this tool can be part of one of those new developments, but it's mm. just really exciting that Japan are really pushing um, not only blockchain but all these new tools. You know, who would have thought? Yeah, we need a tool like this, but obviously someone in Japan did. Yeah. So what is the difference then between this new tool and the way testing occurs at the moment? Because surely there is some testing that takes place before new new updates are pushed live to the various blockchains. So what's the difference there? This is a simulation. Yeah, I would probably look to Joe to to maybe answer this one if you're here. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I don't know. Yeah, well, I can't, um, having never used the tool, I can't uh, uh, illustrate the specific differences between testing blockchain applications and this tool. But I can um, highlight some examples from my software development background in that, um, in fact, my workplace had an issue last week where we wrote some code. We tested it on one or two machines. We tried our best to break it. We looked at the code. It all appeared good. But then we go to put it on the servers and you get, I don't know, 5,000 users using it, and it works in an unexpected way. So 5,000 users using it almost every time they use our product and it gets amplified, it suddenly has a a far bigger impact than just um, using it on one machine. So it, it is a difficult area to test, and the easiest way is often to just run it on a blockchain maybe once you're confident a little bit in the code you put it on and you you push it out to five percent of your users or some canaries or you do like a a blue green deployment so some people get it they're happy with it you roll it out to a few more but that's a bit difficult on blockchain because your miners are only generally going to mine something that's going to be profitable they don't want to mine a dead chain so there is a limit to the testing you can do without actually running it on the blockchain itself. Mm-hmm. So having a tool to visualize that and which can kind of help see how the network behaves after different modifications with this visualization tool we created, um, it could just be you know another tool in your testing arsenal. And it says that it can simulate the parameters of Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Dogecoin at the moment, and they hope to add Ethereum in the future. They also said as a side project towards this, they are using SimBlock to test the security of distributed networks by conducting malicious attacks against them. So I guess that's another way is that they can see how things might spread and propagate throughout the network as well, which they definitely wouldn't want to do uh, on a live network. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good use case, yeah. So then on to Nestle. So Nestle is not a stranger to blockchain because actually back in 2017, they announced a participation with the IBM Food Trust blockchain. And that was to measure, to record the traceability of products running from their factories to their next line consumer. So they'd make a finished product and then send it to a factory or a distributor and that was used to record that. What they're now doing is creating a blockchain platform that will trace the raw ingredients to their factories 
and so that any consumers can actually have full traceability across the whole supply chain of their food. And the first place they're going to try this is in New Zealand. They're going to track milk running from farms to Nestle facilities in the Middle East. And then if that's successful, they'll move on to palm oil production in the Americas. So what do you guys think of Nestle's new networks? Yeah, I, th I think it's very important. Uh, I, there's been numerous examples in history in the, in the last couple of decades of, you know, food, food chains getting poisoned in some way. You know, we had the BSE crisis in the UK. We've had an infant milk scandal in China, the E. coli outbreak in North America. They all root, go back to uh, the, the food supply getting contaminated in some way or someone fiddling with it. So any, anything that gives greater control, greater insight, greater transparency to that process is definitely a good thing. They are partnering with uh, Carrefour, was it? Yes. Uh, Carrefour are also quite big on uh, blockchain, aren't they? Um, they already track 20 or so of their products using um, the IBM uh, Food Trust blockchain. And they're going to add uh, 40 more or so. And they've actually got a blockchain director within the company, um, which I think, I'm not sure how many other major kind of supermarket markets have the same sort of um, focus on technology like that. Yeah, I can't and say that I know any in the UK that have. This is going to be publicly accessible, this blockchain, so people can check the provenance of these things, or it's only for internal tracking? Um, well, for the, I don't know about the new trial, they haven't released details of that, for, but for the IBM blockchain, it has a QR code on the, the product, and then you get, you can scan okay. that with your smartphone okay. or whatever, and it will give you the information. Okay. Call me cynical, but <laughs> Nestle don't exactly have the perfect track record. Um, no, I think that would be fair to say. You know, in fact, I've got a top 10 list here and the stuff I didn't even know about. So there's baby formula is probably the most well-known outcry, but there's things like uh, forced labor, deforestation, Ethiopian debt, alleged price fixing. It like, just keeps going on and on and on. Um, so so like, why are they doing this blockchain? Are they trying to just get in on the hype? Do they legitimately want to turn their company around and be transparent with their customers? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I would question what exactly their real motives are. Yeah, I mean, maybe like a shield, right, to protect them. So we'd say, well, look, well, we've got a blockchain. You can see where it came from. You can't blame us. <laughs> but so from my understanding of Nestle's um, issues, they're mostly related to how the business operates rather than the traceability of the product. So perhaps it's just two separate parts of the business sort of doing completely different things. So the blockchain and the food traceability area actually do want to improve things and want to make it better for consumers to be able to trace where their food came from. But equally, there are other parts of the business that are determined to continue making money and exploit these opportunities that they see, which lead to some you know, less than ethical decisions being made. So it could just be, it's, a, it's an enormous business. It's one of the largest food businesses in the world. So it's more, it's more than possible that there's just two sets of people competing against each other for, for yeah. how they view what Nestle is going to do. You'll be able to see exactly which tree was chopped down to make that packaging for your steak there. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the interesting thing about the palm oil one is that palm oil is a very contentious 
um, ethical issue because mm. most of it comes from rainforests that are just chopped down with regard to the habitats and the environment. So it'll be interesting to see exactly where Nestle is getting their stuff from, but it also raises the possibility that could they use it as marketing spin to say, that, oh, we'll only record 10% of our palm oil production on the blockchain and the other 90% we just won't tell anyone about. <laughs> so, so I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But it is an exciting development. And like Gavin said, the Car4 stuff is pretty cool too. To see major retailers actually starting getting involved in the blockchain space proves that it, it does have a use besides just cryptocurrencies and, um, you know, markets and making money for sure i mean if you go back like three years four years nestle wasn't talking about using blockchains you know carafor probably weren't talking about using blockchains so the speed the 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 rate of adoption is increasing rapidly and that's only a good thing whether nestle's intentions are good or not the fact as you say the fact big businesses are starting to get increasingly involved that's great Indeed. So we will wait and see with bated breath what happens to all of these things we have just spoken about. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So here at the Blocks Decoded podcast, we actually write for the website Blocks Decoded and we publish articles every week. And so we're going to take a look at some of our most recently published articles. And we're going to start with Joe, who's going to tell us a bit about ontology. Yeah. Thank you, James. So You may have heard Ontology, maybe you even own some, but what exactly is it and how does it work? Which is, that's the objective of what we're going to quickly summarize right now. So Ontology is a, comes from a Chinese company, OnChain, and OnChain were involved in NEO and the creation of that blockchain. And in their own words, Ontology is a public multi-chain project and distributed trust collaboration network, which probably doesn't tell you anything at all. (laughs) But essentially, Ontology can be split into two halves or two objectives it's trying to achieve. So the first is the distributed trust network, whereby they will provide a method for you to trust other parties and so you know who you're dealing with without having to go through uh, a lawyer or other custody or trust services. And then the second half of this project is where they aim to be the bridge between different tech systems. So if you maybe have an app running on Ethereum and you have your old legacy system running not on a blockchain, Ontology aims to be the link whereby those two systems can talk to each other. But also, say you have just two blockchain systems like Ethereum and maybe Tron, and you've got your dApps running on those. Again, Ethereum wants to sit. Ethereum, Ontology wants to sit in the middle and let those two talk to each other. So, how does this work? Ontology. You could consider Ontology to be throwing in all the buzzwords, but. Uh, in my opinion, they're not just out there for, for the marketing phrases and just get all the business buzzwords out there. So their consensus algorithm combines many different consensus algorithms, but to to sum it down to its bare minimum, it's a proof of stake with a couple of extra algorithms chucked in, such as a verifiable random function and Byzantine fault tolerance. And the essence of this is that people can stake and you you have new node selection and all that jazz you get with proof of stake. But the big difference is the next node and the, the, the person who gets the reward and the choice of mining the next block is chosen 
almost at random. It's not totally random, but it's, it's mostly random, with the idea being that it's not possible to buy your way into the network and it's very difficult to predict who's going to mine the next block, which in theory means that you can't hack the network or take it over by doing a 51% attack because you just can't predict what it's going to do next. So can you host other coins on ontology? Is it is it possible to do that in the way that you can connect the two, two different... Uh, apps, as you were saying, because you host um, another token on the ontology blockchain. Yeah, well, no, not really. Um, so ontology has uh, is ONT coin, which you use for staking and trading, mm-hmm. but it also has a second utility token, which is called ONG, which it uses for on-chain services and paying for smart contracts. Uh, okay. Um, and so that kind of covers most of how it works but there's still this other bit of trust and so to handle trust it essentially has two blockchains it has a public blockchain where ong and ont run uh, and you can put anything you like on there like your smart apps but then it also has the potential to create many private blockchains so say i wanted to store my information on there that could go mostly on the public blockchain but then the bits I don't want to share with anyone else, like maybe my social security number or my credit card number, those would essentially live on a, a variation of a private blockchain, which only I have access to. And then I can freely say, okay, create me another private blockchain, go send this data off to the public blockchain. Um, so essentially you can, almost like the modern way of apps, you go on Facebook and it says, I want to give access to this data to this app. It would that's a very loose definition of it but you're being complete control of your data so when you so you gave the analogy of uh logging in through facebook giving an app permission you get to choose which data there is from what you've been saying would it be right also to say that on facebook you can choose certain information on your profile to be public and private and in a sense that's sort of similar with these these two blockchains as well Yes, essentially, but it's not going to be just click a button and use a web app. No, no. Um, obviously, maybe in the future, if somebody develops an app to sit on top of it, but it's still you know a bit of coding, create your smart contract, and all the rest of it. So it's not like people could like toggle their data between the two or anything like that. Well, well, you could if you had the technical know-how, but not. Mm-hmm. It's not just a simple button press. No. Okay. So. Ontology is currently trading at $1.36, but that hasn't always been the case. When we wrote our article a couple of weeks ago, it was $1.63, and it has experienced wild swings like the rest of the market has. The earliest known price is $0.43 in December 2018, but on May the 3rd, 2018, it reached a crazy price of $11. So this isn't financial advice, but if you believe in the market, you could see that as perhaps a bit of a bargain. And is ONG on? Uh, I just see you've got on tol- uh, ONT there in your in your article. Is ONG also trading tradable? Well, primarily um, your your trade ONT and ONG isn't really the thing you trade. Okay. Is that because it's used in the sort of like internal transactions? <laughs> Well, it's like it's um, well, it's ONG stands for ontology gas, so it's like 
you know, you, you're paying for your gas fees um, and you're right, earning, okay. earning it for working with the network. So you can trade it, but most of the interest is in the actual ONT token. Right. It's a really interesting coin, actually, isn't it? It's it's extremely secure, um, way more secure than than many of the other uh, most popular cryptocurrencies. Using the random consensus node really makes it uh, stand out. Yeah, and this this team of scientists behind it really seem to know their stuff, and they haven't just copy and pasted. Uh, a different white paper and just you know done a find and replace and changed all the words to their words <laughs> <laughs> can't imagine that there's many that do that <laughs> like people get paid money for that man <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, it does sound it sounds really interesting and I, I don't think I really appreciated how much potential there is in it um, before we talked about it and are there a lot of businesses using, using this already Joe do we know um, well it is kind of targeting business users, so it has a potentially massive market. But it kind of like most blockchains, they kind of hype up who's actually using it, who's not. Um, I believe I'm right in saying they're still on their test net and are looking to migrate to their main net very shortly. Um, so in the scale of, of the world, maybe not many people using it at all. Uh, but in terms of crypto market users people who use blockchain every day using it um it, it's climbing up there i wonder if, so like, I wonder if nestle know about it <laughs> yeah that's just what i was gonna say as with most of the things we talked about today it's, it's very much like getting ready and stepping into the potential of a couple of years time mm-hmm. away i think is is what it sounds like now into the current um, you've probably heard of Coinbase. Most of us have used it. And we've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast, notably um, a few months ago when the whole delete Coinbase movement was going on. So if you have been considering an alternative to Coinbase, then Dan is probably the best person to speak to because he has five to tell you about. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the best person to speak to. but The, no, the best okay. person. <laughs> 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 Okay, yeah, so I just wanted to take a look at some of the best Coinbase alternatives. I chose five of them. Um, They are certainly among the best. You might have your own preferences. Um, But I just wanted to look at a few different options that approach the problem of the crypto on-ramp, shall we say, in a few different ways. Um, Coinbase obviously is comfortably the most popular crypto on-ramp, certainly in North America. Um, But... Some some of the alternatives, they can be complex for beginners. Um, If you don't know much about crypto, you don't want to be dealing with big complex exchanges. You don't want a big long list of every crypto pairing on the planet. If you just want to buy some Bitcoin or some Ethereum or whatever it may be, what other options do you have? So the five that I looked at, let's look at them in a bit more detail. First one, CoinMama. Big benefit first up of CoinMamba over Coinbase is the number of countries where you can use it. Uh, at the time of writing, Coinbase only supports 32 countries, and that list has grown from even less, even fewer, just you know a year or so ago. So the list is growing, but it's still quite small. And there are some notable exclusions on that list. New Zealand's not supported, Brazil's not supported, Argentina, Turkey, India, Hong Kong, Taiwan. CoinMama... It works in 190 countries. So you're looking at 
the majority of countries in the world there. Uh, and it also offers more coins than Coinbase. Uh, Coinbase is restricted to Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin Cash, I think Litecoin, I think Ethereum Classic possibly is still there. Uh, but CoinMammer introduces a lot more. So Ripple, uh, Cardano, Kutum, uh, you can access all those simply by making a transfer into your CoinMammer account with a debit or credit card. The trading fees are more than Coinbase, so it's going to cost you more money for those extra countries than for those extra coins. But if you want those coins or you live outside a supported area, definitely check it out. Uh, second one is Changeli. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever used this one, but it's quite new to me. I've never really looked at it in any detail before this article. Mm. I've, I've... Um, the big, the big benefit of Change Early is that you can use, or they claim that you can use any fiat currency in the world uh, to make your purchase. So, you know, if you're living outside of the US or country, the big currency countries, so shall we say, you can use your currency. Sure, it will be transferred into euros or dollars before the, behind the scenes this is, it'll transfer into euros or dollars before the purchase is made. So you're going to be at risk of the currency fluctuations there. But... Um, you know, again, it's another on-ramp for people who are maybe not served by Coinbase's core uh, core currencies. Uh, local Bitcoins, Gavin, I think you mentioned recently that you use local Bitcoins. I've, I've never used it. Is it good? Do you like it? Yeah, I really like local Bitcoins. Uh, I use it I use it quite frequently, actually. Um, I find it's one of the easiest ways to buy Bitcoin um, with, with a very low transaction fee. Um, and I find their rating system is, is very accurate. Um, people give really decent feedback, um, and you the system prompts you to either trust a person or to just okay the transaction. So if you if you trust the person, then they get that notification on their profile that they're a, a trusted trader. Uh, the one downside to it, I would say, is. Sometimes the prices can look a little off and they can also um, change once you sign into your account. So you will see a list of prices when you go to the, the website and then when you log into your account, some of the better looking prices may well have miraculously disappeared. And it's never, it's never you know, too much. We're not talking like thousands of dollars worth of difference but you you do sometimes you know it could be fifty dollars or sixty dollars you think oh I would have preferred to have that little bit extra in my Bitcoin wallet. But overall, it's it's a great site. It's a really easy to use interface. Um, they take verification very seriously, which is a positive for most people. And um, you will often find as well a lot of the sellers um, try and get extra verification from you if you haven't already verified so the sellers are very aware that scams are operating you know people are trying to use other people's banking information to buy crypto so that they can cash it out um so, so that's sure. a big positive the whole thing here is that you're buying directly off another person so you're not going through an exchange or any of these types of things you're literally finding someone who wants to sell some bitcoins that they own and buying them directly off them so I think I'm right in saying that it goes through an escrow account first, but essentially it's a decentralized way to buy Bitcoins that's not linked to some of these big massive companies like Coinbase and so on. 
Yeah. It, it, so, quick, so local bitcoins, are there any, you've said that uh, local bitcoins has no control over the costs of the transaction, but does local bitcoins actually take any fees or are they just sort of literally a platform that's free to use and just integrates between the buyer and seller? I believe they take a fee. I don't have that information in front of me. Gavin, perhaps you can confirm. They do. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it is, it's a very small amount. Um, okay. And in comparison to the major um, on-ramps for Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies, it's, it, it's way, way, way less. And um, you do end up with more Bitcoin in your pocket wallet um, than, than in other places. You think if you buy like 100 dollars worth of uh bitcoin on coinbase you you only come back with say 96 or, or 94 dollars worth or something don't you so it, it's a big difference okay and then the last two i looked at then are a little bit different shall we say from from the ones we've looked at so far the first one is abra now i really like abra i think it's a really cool idea um for those of you that don't know not only can you buy crypto but you can also buy uh, stocks, regular equity stocks, funds, index trackers, you know, there's a whole wealth of investment opportunities that you can get involved with through Abra. Um, <clears throat> the downside of Abra is that it's, well, I say it's a downside, some people might not be comfortable with it, shall we say, it's entirely mobile-based, so it's not an offline hardware wallet or anything like this. You're going to leave, for the most part, you're going to leave your coins in the app. Um you can withdraw Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum and Litecoin, but nothing else. So if you want to buy a slightly more obscure currency, and they do offer a lot of the more obscure altcoins, if you want to buy a more obscure one, you're going to have to leave it there. That means you're into the, the whole world of stolen phones. Have you written down your seed phrase? You know, you can access the when you have the app installed on your phone, you access it just with the pin code of your phone, possibly some security concerns there. But again, it's a great way to, to get involved with Bitcoin if you don't want to use any of the major exchanges. And the last one I, I thought I'd touch on is Robinhood. Um, obviously, Robinhood has made a huge name for itself with its commission-free stock trading in the last few years. You know, the, the media is calling it, you know, the way that millennials are investing and all this kind of thing. Uh Commission-free trading on Robinhood for as carried over to the crypto part of it as well, to the crypto division. So you're not paying any fees on your on your trading transactions. There is an argument which we've covered in more detail. It's too extensive to get into now, but whether uh, it really is free, you know, you have all these high-frequency trading firms and you know front-running the orders and all these kinds of things. So there are definitely some question marks there. But if you're already a Robinhood user, if you're already using the app to invest in regular stocks and you fancy buying some Bitcoin to add to your portfolio, it's as simple as, again, a credit card transaction or a debit card transaction. The as, Dan just, Sorry, go yeah. as Dan just mentioned, uh, we did actually speak about Robinhood not being as free as you think back on episode two of the Blocks Decoded podcast. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, uh, go back to go back through the archives and download episode two. I, w I would just finish with Robinhood. I'd like to say that you cannot withdraw your crypto from Robinhood in no way. You can't withdraw your Bitcoin. You can't withdraw Ether. Nothing is withdrawable. It has to sit there in your Robinhood account. Again, some people might have might have security concerns about that. It does feel a bit risky, doesn't it? I mean, oh for sure. I, I know we've all left crypto on exchanges at, at times, but you really shouldn't do it. But to be forced to do it does. Yeah, it's a bit worrying. 
they do say in various press releases and so on that they're looking to to offer the functionality in the future. Mm. Whether or not it'll ever come, I guess it's all part of their business plan. You know, they're probably making money off that stored crypto in some way, you know, like banks yeah. do with your cash and all this kind of thing. So. Staking all of your proof of stake coins on your behalf so you are nothing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I don't know how that would work, you know, with uh, forks and airdrops related to coins and all these kinds of things. I don't know how that would then work with Robinhood. So make sure you do your own research before you dive in there. Well, I've got to say, I'm quite interested in trying out local Bitcoins and Abra based on uh, based on what you said. So thank you very much for going through those, Dan. No, no problem. Now, to round us off, we're going to do something a little bit more lighthearted than uh, some of the downer things we've usually looked at about <laughs> you know, Bitcoin being the end of the world and that sort of thing. Instead, here's, we release this podcast on Thursday. So if you're looking for something to watch this weekend or if you have any downtime where you just need to shove something on the TV, uh, Gavin's going to take us through some of the best Bitcoin-based blockchain films. Oh, you, that's you not the quite right. Bit. Bitcoin ba- Bitcoin blockbusters, I think, is the phrase of it. Oh, yeah, all right. There you go. Yeah, so um, I'm going to use that. Thanks, Dan. So the Bitcoin <laughs> blockbusters. Um, to be fair, they are predominantly uh, documentaries uh, that explore what Bitcoin and, and blockchain and, and cryptocurrency is. Um, but so they're it- not, as I almost suggested, films that are on the blockchain, which I think is how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> there is um, one project that is uh, being released on the blockchain, which I haven't included in this list, but uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I'll drop a link to it in the show notes because it's being created on the blockchain somehow and being released via the blockchain somehow. Um, but unfortunately, it completely escapes me at the current time. However, back to films that we do actually know about. Um, and the top one on the list, and I think it's a must-watch for anybody who has even a passing interest in Bitcoin, um, is Bitcoin, the end of money as we know it. And uh, that might be making you think we're going back on that negative slant on Bitcoin. But um, in fact, it's actually a, a decent look at how Bitcoin will disrupt the current monetary system. Uh, now this documentary was made back in 2014 so we're now five well from when it was released five and a half years on so a lot has changed in those five years. We've had the massive highs the, the crushing lows and we've got a lot of um, exciting cryptocurrency projects and businesses out there um, but the, the documentary itself has some really interesting talks with Ethereum co-founder uh, Vitalik Buterin um, Bitcoin Cash evangelist Roger Ver, so they're they're really worth listening to because it gives you a, a slightly different take on how you might perceive them to be now. I mean, they're big personalities on Twitter and obviously very prominent in the cryptocurrency world. So it's good to see uh, what they were like even just five years ago. Um, another good one to watch. Um, is Deep Web, which was released in 2015. It's another documentary. It's 90 minutes long. Um, And this is a take on uh, the infamous Ross Ulbricht, or you may know him as Dread Pirate Roberts, who was the leader of the original Silk Road darknet market. Obviously, he was arrested. He's serving... I can't remember, two or three or five life sentences, not concurrently. You know, he's going to be in prison for 
hundreds of years if he lives uh, that long. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's got some really interesting interviews again with Wired, uh, Andy Greenberg, who's a, a great, great guy on crypto, uh, and the hacktivist Amir Taki. Um, I hopefully haven't butchered his name as we're really good at doing on this uh, podcast. <laughs> um, but they're both really interesting guys and they've got some really interesting things to say about... Um, about the trial and how he was brought down and the significance of it for not just for cryptocurrency but for for the for the world in in, in general um and another plus for that one is the keanu reeves uh, narrates the entire film so oh that's awesome yeah if you like I've been watching john wick oh yeah <laughs> yeah and so I'm, I'm on a big keanu kick at the moment i think i'm gonna have to watch that <laughs> yeah it is it is good it's a really it's a really interesting watch um another one by the same producer actually uh, the producer's name is Alex Winter um, and he's quite prominent in the crypto filmmaking space um, it's called The Trust Machine uh, and this was released in 2018 and it it really takes a, a really good deep look at the way that a lot of the cryptocurrencies that we now know and look at as market leaders probably won't exist even within the next five you know to ten years that the the companies that we think are trailblazing now are going to be surpassed within a very short amount of time but just purely because cryptocurrency and blockchain is moving at such an incredible pace so people that think they're leading the way are going to suddenly find themselves lagging behind um and yeah like i said that's by the same guy who did uh the the deep web documentary um they're really really well produced as well um which makes them a really nice watch uh and the final one i will tell you about is banking on bitcoin which was released in 2016 it's another documentary um and this one focuses on how cryptocurrency should begin returning power to normal people like the people listening to the podcast and the people talking about it um it does that in a different way to the first one i mentioned uh it does that by showing you how the regular banking system that we use now becomes corrupted and with that corruption over time it becomes more and more ineffectual um, and as it becomes more ineffectual, the corruption can grow. You know, it's a it's a vicious cycle. So after a while, you have to have something like Bitcoin as a valued alternative um, that people can actually put trust in uh, by way of it being a trustless system. Um, the documentary itself features some really good interviews with uh, Gavin Anderson who's a uh, a venture capitalist who does a lot of stuff in the crypto space Uh, Eric Voorhees who's another uh, great guy in the crypto space and Charlie Schrem who is um, who was started one of the very first uh, Bitcoin companies got convicted of fraud came out and now he's also uh, continued working to promote Bitcoin in, in many spaces um I'll add a line about the recent film that was released. You guys may have seen this. Uh, Crypto. Uh, it was released fairly recently. It's got Kurt Russell. It's got Kurt Russell, and, yes. Uh, the other guy, <laughs> Luke Hem- Hemsworth. Um, the less famous Hemsworth, you might say. Um, Is he the one that's married to Miley Cyrus? Is he? I Is don't know. The other one? Yeah, I, well, think, I thought I he think... was the other, other one. Oh, I don't know. 
I'm not that. Don't you read Hello Magazine, mate? Come on. <laughs> I do, I do, but I, you know, I get my facts mixed up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's Liam. Oh, it's, oh, it's Liam. Liam. Right. Okay. Yeah, we're hip. We know what's going on. <laughs> um, so the film name is Crypto. So you'd think with a name like that, it would be a film all about cryptocurrency. Uh, rather, they've used the word crypto to to gain some attention. Um, cryptocurrency is in the plot. You know, it's a film about money laundering using cryptocurrencies. But it does feel like they've just thrown in. Uh, cryptocurrency references to keep the the flow of it going whereas they could have used other mechanisms of fraud to to get the job done without continually making references to to cryptocurrencies Uh, it's like companies renaming themselves blockchain whatever isn't it all over again yeah i mean as as i've said in in the article um you can grab the link to that in the show notes but it's not a terrible film um but it just the, the attention it got for having the word crypto as the title was possibly and most probably unwarranted <laughs> and so that one is out in the cinemas and, and the other documentaries where, where can we watch those um, you can grab it's, it's kind of a mixture I think some of them are on YouTube some are on uh, I think one or two are actually on Netflix um, yeah there's trailers for so, all of the blockchain films in the article so if you watch the trailer there's a link underneath each trailer to where you can actually go and watch the entire film that's probably the best way to to find them okay okay so these are basically available on standard streaming platforms but i think if i remember right there's a netflix of blockchain that i think i remember hearing about is that right yep that's the uh, mtonomy which is precisely the netflix of blockchain so this isn't films about blockchain this is films on blockchain um and they claim that they're the only system out there that it can provide for enterprise grade content delivery and security um just like netflix but on the blockchain which is interesting in that they give they're running it on ethereum which as we all know with with crypto kitties it's hardly um the, the fastest network around um, and whether or not they compete with the real big players such as Tron, who knows? But it's still exciting, nevertheless. I kind of feel like I'm going to have to know how to read binary to watch a film on the blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to watch that film? I'll just synchronize your 200 gig blockchain first. <laughs> well, if you want to check out any of those films, as Gavin said, the article is in the show notes and you can click through to the trailers and watch them so that is it from us for this week and we will be back in two weeks as regularly scheduled in the meantime though if you've enjoyed the show please do give us a rating on apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show now i've always wanted to say that so that was really exciting (laughs) (laughs) but from all of us here at blocks decoded we will see you in two weeks Bye. bye bye guys bye